0: HLB Cross-Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hello everyone. And in our podcast today, we'll be discussing the integration of accounting and cyber forensics. My guests are both partners at Witham. Tom Reck specializes in forensic and valuation services, and Matt Ferrante is an expert in cyber and information security services so welcome to you both thank you for joining me um so firstly can each of you explain how you define forensics in each of your fields please tom perhaps you can start
1: sure thanks for having me yeah so typically or generally i should say uh forensics is the use of uh, our accounting skills to investigate fraud an asset misappropriation some sort of embezzlement things of that nature that basically require us to dissect and analyze the financial information uh, and, and that for, for use in a legal matter typically. So it's uh, either something that's already in a lawsuit or is going to be heading for a lawsuit at some point in time.
0: Thanks, thank you for that and, and Matt.
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, cyber forensics is applied science and technology for use in criminal, civil, regulatory and fact planning matters. It uh, provides uh, repeatable processes and often follows a designed set of process and procedures that are accepted in the uh, scientific community.
0: Uh, so, so Tom, as a forensic accountant, um, what, be, what would be the kinds of engagements that you would generally get involved in and, and what kind of records would you review?
1: Um, So typically we get involved in any number of matters. So it could be something ranging from someone inappropriately using company funds for their own personal use rather than properly for the benefit of the company, or, uh, you know, we get involved in matters where corporate clients may have been diverted to another entity. In other words, the clients themselves were stolen, if you will. Uh, And you know that negatively impacted uh, the company, which we would be looking at. Uh, I've been involved in matters where there were payments being made to vendors, who were in turn kicking a portion of the uh, monies that were being paid to them back to an individual at the company that was making the payment. Um, So those are the sorts of things that that we would typically get involved in. In in terms of the records, uh, what I like to do is I like to start either with the financial statements or tax returns to get a sense as to what the trends in the business have been and whether there is anything that looks unusual. So was there an increase in a particular expense category in a a certain year? Did receivables go up at a time when uh, overall revenue was declining? certain things that might give one pause. So that would be something we would look at. And then from there we would try to peel back the onion, I guess you'd say. So we'd look to obtain the general ledger, which would allow us to see in greater detail um, the underlying transactions that have occurred. Uh, Sometimes we're able to access the systems directly so we can't manipulate or change data in any way, but we can see what transpired. And depending on the system that's being used, we can see who approved transactions, et cetera, things of that nature. And frankly, I mean, oftentimes we're involved in uh, matters where there's a suspicion as to what has transpired. So with that in mind, we try and focus on proving, you know, whether our theory as to um, what's, what we believe has happened has in fact happened. So we might focus on a specific, batch of things, whether it's payments to an individual, whether it's certain banking transactions or credit transactions in a particular month or to a particular person, things of that nature. So it, it really, you know, you start at a high level and then, as I said, you peel back the onion, you work backwards from there.
0: Thanks, and so so your abilities to function on, on on what you're looking at as a forensic accountant is dependent on the integrity of the underlying books and records. Yes. And, and is that always the case?
1: No, not at all. Uh, I mean, you know, I'd say most of our cases, you know, we do get the underlying records oftentimes after a after a protracted fight, but we but we will get it. Um, but uh, we have been involved in situations where, um, and I can think of one specifically where we were to be provided. This was by a court order, we were to be provided with a mirror image of of data underlying records. Uh, so if you want to think and simplistically think in terms of like QuickBooks, right? Although sometimes a system might be specific to a particular industry, but you know we were ordered to be provided with a mirror image of the underlying records and uh, we were able to discern that that was not what happened, which is uh, when we turn to the cyber team, which is which is Matt Ferrante's group.
0: So, so Matt, can you tell us a bit more about what your role in all of this would be then and and what stage are you usually called in?
2: Sure. Um, it depends uh, in terms of what stage we're particularly brought in. Uh, as I mentioned before, cyber forensics uh, deals with fi- finding matters, but often we're brought in when uh, there's uh, active litigation uh, that is going on. Uh, pretty much every uh, issue that we're brought on, in on, there is a uh, cyber role to that. And as most people are aware, um, having data, just for example, in a QuickBooks file, that's usually um, one piece of uh, the uh, digital data uh, because there's a lot of other data that surrounds it. And you, ha- you may have invoices, you're going to have communications, you may have uh, chat logs, uh, SMS messages or text messages. Data is dispersed, especially uh, with the work from home environment, cloud environments. Uh, we're Bought in to help one, build a strategy, then work on identifying, collecting, preserving, processing and setting up a view uh, for uh, different stakeholders uh, so they can get a clear picture of what is going on. The good news is that with the amount of data that's being produced, you get a very accurate picture of what has transpired. Um, but QuickBooks will tell you, for example, I'm, I'm using QuickBooks as an example, it will tell you part of the picture. Usually not all of it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and how much has um, technology changed in all of this and how does it affect what you're working on?
2: Uh, technology has changed uh, significantly uh, because, uh, as I mentioned, you have um, a lot of distributed systems. Uh, you ha- we deal with data that's in motion, meaning active data uh that is going on with active communications, uh emails one form of communication, but uh we've seen stuff that where a lot of the financial um data or communication is active. It's being going on via uh instant messaging uh within within the company or some of it's in a cloud environment. Uh so it's changed uh, significantly there's a lot of uh often cross-border issues uh, for example if we get a court order to collect uh, company data where does that company data actually exist? Does it exist within Europe? Does it exist within uh, the United States? So you have to make sure uh, as cyber forensic experts that um, you're not overstepping your bounds on where you're collecting uh, the information. So making sure that uh, different court orders are drafted appropriately involves a cyber forensics team to assist with counsel, to assist with the um, forensic accountants to ensure that um, uh, stuff is being drafted correctly uh we're not overstepping our bounds uh, and we're getting an accurate picture so uh, our clients can make well-informed decisions
0: great, great. thank, thank you. you and and what should businesses and people be aware of generally what what controls should they have in place
2: sure interesting you, uh you asked that because uh, what we notice is when we're talking about the integrity of blocks or the integrity of Systems from a cyber forensic or cyber security perspective, we look at it as protecting the bits and bytes. Uh, so, a financial system, uh, we can help protect that from a cyber security perspective to make sure that there's no uh, manipulation, there's o- appropriate audit trails that are in place. Um, but we also need uh, the forensic accountants and the auditors to ensure that what is being put into those books is going to be accurate and the integrity of those books are accurate as well. So the collaboration or, or between the different groups is imperative. Uh, good example where um, there's usually underlining issues and uh, taking it um, into a uh, cybersecurity perspective is uh, business email compromise or BEC fraud. Uh, the FBI reports within the U.S. it costs businesses 1.8 billion dollars on an annual basis. Um, and what we find out when we go into these is that it's not just that there's a lack of cybersecurity controls; there's a lack of financial controls and and accounting controls that are put into place. So working with Thomas Rex team uh, and other auditors is critical to make sure that those financial controls are in place, so that people do not send wires inappropriately. Or uh, that people aren't manipulating the books. So the integration of the two—the cybersecurity as well as the uh, cyber—the uh, uh, accounting teams and the auditors—is important uh, to have good integrity of the books and to reduce impacts on an organization.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and if I could, i add to that. I mean, when you look at the underlying, underlying um, operations of a company, there's really a lot that goes on. So you've got the sales, you know at the top, if you will. You've got the whole sales transaction. How do sales get recorded? Um, who is keeping track of any accounts receivable? Who's able to write off any accounts receivable that may not be collected? to the extent that payment is received? What controls are in place to make sure that um, money that should be, Um, being received by a company is properly received and being properly recorded. You have uh, all sorts of fixed assets on the books and books of of companies that need to be maintained. You've got accounts payable. You've got a payroll department and in each of these different. Parts of of an overall entity there needs to be controls in place so that the data uh, can't be manipulated or. To try and at least mitigate the chances of the manipulation of that data allowing someone to uh, improperly have access to uh, company funds that they they shouldn't shouldn't have access to for example
2: just uh, one other thing to further elaborate on that in terms of the controls um, one of the things that we get asked are are they different from a uh, S- SMB or SME medium enterprise to a global enterprise class environment um, case in point, we've seen impacts on a uh, on a large uh, global uh, financial institution, one of which I was called in after the fact, after two out of the big fours blessed off on the acquisition of a Russian bank. <clears throat> I went in uh, to uh, Moscow and I was just there to kick the tires uh, to see what was going on because um, some antennas were raised back in, in England. Um, and uh it turned out that by uh we recovered uh and identified a a shadow network or an additional network where they're running uh kind of parallel financials or uh, another network where they were basically running parallel books long story short it was a uh, billion dollar acquisition it was over a half a billion dollar loss so we've seen this happen for large enterprises as well as uh, smaller to medium-sized businesses. You need the same fundamental type of controls in place, and a lot of these, if you're proactive, you can mitigate a lot of the critical impacts to a business.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I was I was just going to ask actually whether if you're working for a small business or a global company, are, are the problems the same? Is it is it is it is it different? Um, how, what do you find?
2: Um, obviously a, a larger, uh, larger, the organization, they can usually absorb, um, you know, much bigger critical impacts. We see the impacts on the smaller to medium sized enterprise be very costly. And sometimes they can't recover on some of the, uh, the major, uh, impacts that they've had. So fundamentally from what I've seen for a cybersecurity perspective, I'm not speaking in terms of, uh, you know, financial controls, they're very similar. And they're scalable to the organization. They're affordable and they're scalable. But um, what we see is that where companies are proactive on putting these controls and having an appropriate audit done that includes a cyber side to it has been very, very beneficial to mitigate these issues and or uncovering issues that have uh, that have occurred. I was bought in. You, brought, uh, you mentioned uh, before, uh, when am I bought in? I can give you an example of when I've been bought in just on a cybersecurity audit had nothing to do with financial controls where we were analyzing data that was coming in and out of the networking environment for a large construction company. Uh, within the data that we're analyzing, we noticed that they were running QuickBooks and it was odd because their accounting system was not based on QuickBooks. And I said, that's strange. Are you running QuickBooks within your environment? The CEO said, no, we're not. Uh, We shouldn't be running that at all. I was able to trace that data back to the CFO's desk. And we identified that he was running his own, quote, uh, illicit accounting operations and uh, billing the company fraudulently for um, Internet services and other stuff that the company didn't need. And it was basically based on a shell company. Then obviously the uh, forensic accountants came in and uh, cleaned up the rest of the environment from the financial perspective. Yeah,
1: and, yeah, and from, from my perspective to, to, the, to answer that question, Helen, when you have smaller companies, um, oftentimes it's it's difficult for them to have the proper controls in place, the proper segregations of, du- of duty. That being said, um, I think you can also have larger companies where things can go awry and oftentimes that's as a result of the tone from the top right so if you have someone that's really you know all about just increasing the top line and doesn't care whether um, whether things are being done properly for lack of a better way of putting it then anything can happen whereas if you have someone who maybe is very interested in obviously in increasing the top line but also wants to make sure that things are being done properly then the chances of there being an issue is 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 mitigated to a certain degree
0: okay thank thank you very much um for, for your time today uh, matt and tom that was all very interesting thank you
1: thank you thank thanks you. for having us
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.